Um, we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 3, and I'm super excited to preach on this. Nehemiah was a book that is like the first book I did as a college guy's Bible study. And so I have really, I just, it always has a special place in my heart because that was one of the first guy, men's Bible studies I did, and I got really into it. And so I'm really looking forward to this uh, chapter with a long list of names and places, and hopefully we can stay engaged as I read the passage. I'll start out with a prayer. God, I thank you so much uh, for what you've done for us to be in this place, God, to be together, God, to have so many rich blessings of our families and our church and our homes, God, and our talents, our skills and talents and abilities that you've given all of us. So God, I pray you'd help us to be attentive to your word. You'd open up our hearts to hear it and to apply it. In your name we pray. So tonight we are continuing our series in Nehemiah 3. And for anybody uh, who's new, these two books, Ezra and Nehemiah are two books in a row in the Bible. Um, Ezra, uh, these two books come right after Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed about 500 years before Jesus came. And after Jerusalem was destroyed, most of the people were deported back to Babylon about 50-ish years after deportation, uh, the king allows the king, God puts it in the king's heart to send men back to restore the temple, to restore worship, because he does not want to anger the God of Israel. So Ezra, the scribe, goes back to restore worship, to restore the temple system, to teach people about the law. And shortly after Ezra, Nehemiah is sent back. Now, Nehemiah, you guys remember, he was the cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah was more of a politician, kind of, and I guess in our day, it'd be like, all right, we're sending a, one of our American politicians to this other country to try to help them, you know, fix their problems. And so Nehemiah goes back to Israel to try to help them fix their problems. Um, and so that's kind of where we're picking up the story. Last week in Nehemiah 2, maybe you guys will remember, remember Nehemiah went out to inspect the wall Shortly after arriving, he went out to inspect the city at night to see how bad things really are. He didn't want anybody to see what he was doing. And after he comes back to look at the wall, he has this speech, you know, let's all build the wall together, everyone rally together. Um, It gets people really excited, but there are, if you guys remember, there's some naysayers, call them the Sambalots and Tobias of the world. They're the, you know, as Joseph called, they're the mockers and the scoffers. They're the ones waiting, ready to kibosh the plan and put it down. And, um, and so that's kind of where we left off. And so tonight in chapter 3, we're going to pick it up with the beginning of the wall. Before I go into that, I was going <laughs> um, to go into picking up Gabe's analogy that he left off with last week of he brought up Ernest Shackleton as this uh, leader, an example of a leader, a man like Nehemiah. If you guys remember Ernest Shackleton from last week, he was a famous sea captain from 1914, so over 100 years ago. And his dream was to be the first man to cross Antarctica. Crazy, crazy idea, right? Um, but he was not heralded for his success but he was heralded because they spent 497 days 
at sea trapped on the ice in Antarctica, and they were able to survive and escape, and he is heralded as a great leader because of that. So one of the things I wanted to look at was just thinking about Shackleton picks his men, right? Gabe was talking about last week, this like advertisement Shackleton put out to find the best of the best. And so, you know, Shackleton assembled his crew, right? He wasn't going to assemble all the exact same people, right? He made sure to have specific people for specific jobs, right? He had a doctor, he had a navigator, right? Someone who could navigate by the stars, tell exactly where they were and where they needed to go. He had a cook, right? Someone who could cook for them. He had, you know, repairmen, guys who could fix the boat, guys who could fix about anything. So he's very intentional and very careful when he picked his crew. Now, t- tonight's passage, we're going to look at Nehemiah's crew, right? And Nehemiah's crew is going to be a lot different than Shackleton's crew. Shackleton had the best of the best. Nehemiah's crew is just average Joes, just like me and you. And so that's our hope. So as we read this passage, it's going to be a long chapter of names. I want you guys just to pay attention to the different names. There's 41 different groups of people that are going to be mentioned in this passage. I just want you to pay attention to the list. Just maybe pick a couple of the people that stick out to you. So kind of the who and then kind of the what. So who are the people in this chapter? Kind of what did they do? What, were the, what did they accomplish? And just grab onto a few things in this next, as we read this chapter three. All right, here we go. Chapter three. Then Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of the Haniel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berkiah, son of Meshazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Dekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Joida, the son of Pasia, and Meshulam, the son of Besoidia, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Malatia, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Marathonite, the men of Gibeon and Amizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Azil, the son of Harhaiah, goldsmiths, they repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, son of Harupha, repaired, opposite his house. And next to him, Hatish, the son of Hashbaniah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pehath-Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halishish, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. 
Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it, they set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Melchizedek, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hacherim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, son of Kol Hosei, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bezur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Raham, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashbiah, ruler of half the district of Keilah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired. Badi, son of Henadad, ruler of half the district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabi, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elishib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Elishib to the end of the house of Elishib. After him, the priests the men of the surrounding area repaired, and after them Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them Azariah, the son of Masiah, son of Anaiha, repaired beside his own house. After him Binuai, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palil, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parash, and the temple servants living in Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east in the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. And after him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hanani, the son of Shilmaiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalpah, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berkiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate into the upper chamber of the corner. In between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Whew, made it. So I hope a few of those, um, hope one or two, a few of those things stuck out in that list. Um, there was, like I was saying earlier, there was 41 different groups of people mentioned, and there was 10 different gates mentioned in this list. And that brings me to my first point, that to build God's city requires every single person. 
Every one of you, every single person is needed to build the city. Who were some of the groups? You guys can shout it out. What were there any? Who are some of the groups that stood out to you? Anybody want to shout out one or two? Priests. Priests. That's right. There were priests. There were Levites. There were temple servants. There were rulers. There were merchants. There were goldsmiths. And there were perfumers. Don't forget about the perfumers. There were people from other cities from far away. There was families. There was sons. There was daughters. There was merchants. There was women. So this is one thing I really loved about this. And this is something that we learn over and over in the Bible. Is that God takes the average Joes. God takes the average people. And he brings them together to do extraordinary things. And even just... Some of you guys are part of Redemption City Church that just launched. And God's taking some just regular average people from our church and doing an extraordinary thing with planting Redemption City and just blessing them. That is just a great tangible example of this. He took a simple, you know, Jesus took a simple fisherman named Peter from a small town far away and he used him to build his church. He took a shepherd, a rural shepherd named David, and set him on the throne of Israel. And so that's a hope for all of us that there are, God needs all of us to build his kingdom, that each one of you guys, uh, when we grow together in this church, that we can strike a blow for Satan, against Satan. Each one of us can lay a brick in God's city, can lay one brick in God's city. And if we all lay one brick, that'll be a lot of bricks. And this whole list of people, they all work together they built gates. They built homes. All of them worked together, built a whole wall, and built a whole city. But on the flip side, there was the people, if you guys notice this, there was the people that didn't want to help. It says in verse 5, the Tekoites repaired. And the Tekoites actually mentioned twice in here. They repaired two different sections of the wall. But it says that their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. The nobles were stiffening their necks, as the Bible calls it. They were stiffening their necks at God, just as the people of Israel often are called the stiff-necked people for disobeying God. They were ox. They were an ox that was refusing to plow. We don't know their exact reasoning that they would not stoop to serve the Lord, but we can make assumptions that maybe from where they were from, they knew they were from the same area as Sambalot, Tobiah. Maybe it was their status. It was their, there was their status. Or maybe it was their fear of man. They loved their position more than they loved God. Isn't it similar? We say the same thing about the Pharisees in Jesus' time. Jesus said they loved their place. At the, at the table. They loved their place at the city gate. They loved their positions more than God. They were afraid of the people, Pharisees, more than they were afraid of God. And we could say, maybe we could say the same thing about these nobles, that they would not stoop to serve God. So I think that's a, less, a, that's a check, check for all of us. 
Are there things in our lives that are keeping us from serving God? Are there things keeping us from building His church and serving His church, building up people, building up people in our eternal family, people we will be in heaven with potentially forever? Maybe it's Maybe it's things that seem small, like sports or statuses or friend groups. What will my friends say if they find out? Maybe it's uh, some of us know firsthand about living a double life, trying to keep multiple different friend groups happy. So this is a warning to us not to be like the nobles, that we can join all in the rest of these people to serve God's church. So we talked a little bit about the who. Um, now my second point is, my second point is the what. What did they build? My second point, to rebuild the city of God, nothing was neglected. If we go through this chapter, we can see a lot of different things on this list. A lot of different elements to the city. There were 10 different gates. There was towers. There were springs. There were homes. There were armories and buttresses and the house of the mighty men and the, two, the kings, the king's halls. So there was 10 different gates listed in this passage and you know, it's important to note that they didn't, all, they built all 10 of these gates in the passage goes, uh, makes it really clear that they didn't just build the gate, but it goes to the point of saying they laid its beams and its bars. Every gate was, complete, was fully completed. They did not neglect it. Now, why were these gates uh, so important? I think one reason these gates were so important is just like in our home, we have different rooms for different things. Just like in our cities, we have different areas of our cities for different things. And these gates brought order to the city. They had a fountain gate and a water gate for cleaning, for water for drinking, water for cleaning. They had a fish gate, a special, if any of you don't like the smell of fish, they avoid the fish gate. (laughs) But they had a gate just for the merchants to bring the fish in. So everyone knew where to go if they needed to buy fish. Then they had the dung gate, a place to take out the trash. Always need a place to take out the trash. So all the trash gets out of the city and goes to one place. They had the horse gate, which was close to the armory, close to the buttress, close to the stables, so that the soldiers could get their armor and get their horses and get out of the city quickly. It's key to the defense of the city. Then there was the gate. That was mentioned very first in this chapter and very last, the sheep gate. This was the only gate, the first one mentioned, that was, you'll see it right in chapter 3, is the only one that was consecrated to the Lord. The priests consecrated the sheep gate to the Lord. Now, why is this? This was because the sheep gate is where the priests would bring the sheep from out in the pastures. They would bring them through the sheep gate into the city to be cleansed and sacrificed at the temple. And so this gate was important, right? Because the sacrificial system 
was what removed their sin according to the Moses, according to the law of Moses. So the sheep gate brought worship, brought restoration of true worship at the temple. And so this project, this building project, wasn't just about building a wall. It was about restoring, about bringing restoration and organization to the city. And that's what Nehemiah wanted to do when we look back. You know, the king, if you guys remember the other lessons, the king wanted to know why Nehemiah was so sad. It's because of the shame of the city. It's because the city was not only in ruins, but the city was in shame. It was in disorder. It was in chaos. So not only are they building a wall for defense, but they're wanting to restore city life. This is a continual theme in the Bible of ruin to try to trying to bring back the Garden of Eden. Ruin trying to bring back the garden. So they're trying to bring back order and peace. I was thinking about it in my own life, just because in the same way that the people needed to build the city walls is in the same way I often use this example in my own life. I use this example a lot when I meet with people is we need to build, we need to be vigilant to build our own walls, Right? Proverbs says that a city without a man without self-control is like a city without walls. And so we need to be vigilant to build our own personal spiritual walls of faith. And many of us, right, our walls are, we know this, our walls are broken down. Anything that comes at us comes through, right? Anything that pops up on our phone goes straight into here, straight into here. Anything that comes up on TV, gossip, slander, right? If we don't, if our walls are broken down, anything can come through. And so we know this. We, anxiety can come through, fear can come through, depression can come through. When our walls are broken down, anything can come through. And we have to be vigilant to build our own walls. But we can't do it on our own, right? We need the city. We need the priests, we need the perfumers, the merchants, the goldsmiths, we need everyone, the athletes, the artists, the musicians, right? The mathematicians, the chemistry nerds or whatever, we need everyone, we need everyone. For our city to flourish, for our church to flourish, we need to work together to build our walls. And through that wall building, right, we can strike a blow on Satan. We can strike a blow at the enemy. But to do this, to work together, right, this is a vision, a vision the Bible lays out, right? It talks about the church is like a body. It needs all the parts. The hand can't say, you know, to the head, I don't need you. Um, Ephesians talks about the body working together, all the muscles and bones and sinews, all, you know, one bone doesn't push against another bone. Our body works in one motion to walk. And so for us to do that can only, can only happen one way. And that is through my third point, that to rebuild the city of God, we need a greater Nehemiah. We need a greater Nehemiah. 
Even though a man like Ernest Shackleton and his men survived the Antarctic Sea for 497 days, and even though Nehemiah was able to rebuild the city, Shackleton, we know, would eventually die of a heart attack. Many of his men would die as well on other missions, some on other missions, some of old age. And we even know, if you read the book of Nehemiah, you will know this book doesn't have the happiest of endings. And there are, you know, there's a lot of books in this Bible that don't have a happy ending, right? The life of Solomon, the life of David. A lot of these stories don't have a happy ending in our eyes. The people of Israel are going to continue to sin. They are going to continue to be stiff-necked people. They're going to continue to reject God. And it's the same for us. We continue to sin. We continue to reject God. We need a better Savior. We need a better Nehemiah. We need a better Ernest Shackleton. We need Jesus. Because Jesus came down from heaven. Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived. He experienced the pain, all the pain and suffering of this world that each of you have experienced. But yet, he did not sin. And we know Jesus would be the one that would pass through that sheep gate. He would pass through that sheep gate as the perfect lamb, as the perfect sacrifice. We know it would be Jesus who, right by the pool, right by the entrance to the sheep gate where they rebuilt the wall, Jesus would heal a man who was lame for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. We know he came to heal us because we're spiritually lame. We know Jesus rode through these very gates of Jerusalem on a donkey. And the people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. And then we know that after that, we know that it was King Jesus who would march out. He would march out on his last march. He would march out with the cross on his back to march up the hill of Golgotha to conquer death. We know that there's only one person and one leader who can give us what we seek. There's only one Jesus who can give us eternal life in his eternal city. And it is through his death, eventual death, as he marched that last march with the cross, it was through that death, through that resurrection, through his ascension back up to his Father in heaven, it was through that that we can be saved, that we can have our, our sins, our stiff-neckedness removed. It is through that that the bricks, those wall bricks in our life that are falling apart can be rebuilt, that our defenses can rebuilt. It is through that that our city, this church can thrive, and Redemption City, as many of you are part of, can thrive. In uh, one of the sweetest chapters toward the end of the Bible is Revelation 21. 
And it tells us, the Apostle John gives us a vision of God's perfect city. Not this city that we're looking at in Nehemiah, but God's perfect city. And I'm going to just abbreviate some of Revelation 21 for you as I close. It says, it says uh, He will wipe away every tear from your eye, and death will be no more. There will be no mourning, no cry. There will be no more pain, for the former things will have passed away. It says, To the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, the Sambalots, the Tobias, the nobles, those who stiffen their neck at Jesus, their position, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. But of God's new city, he says this, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation of the wall of the city was adorned with every kind of jewel. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. The city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. For those of you who have, who do believe in Jesus as your Savior, this is our, this city is our inheritance. This is what we strive for. This is what we work for. We work for an eternal and a heavenly inheritance, a heavenly city. I know, you know, just as I was, there's people on the sidelines. They, they want to join in the work. They want to join with the people, but there's things holding them back. And then there are the scoffers, the Joseph Utters and others who are the scoffers who make fun and jest. And we know our hearts can break for those people because we know where they're going to the, talks about it here, eternal, the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. So I urge you to think about what's holding you back from joining in with us and building an eternal kingdom. To think about if there's things holding you back from Jesus, who has, who's, the Bible says, he's preparing a place for us in his city, in heaven to dwell with him forever. So I urge you to think about those things tonight. Talk to your small group leader and to just remember that we're, one family with one mission, and we have the greatest inheritance. No matter what happens on this earth, we have greater inheritance in a greater city. God, we thank you that Jesus 
marched that march into Jerusalem. Through the Sheep Gate, God lived a perfect life, marched with the cross to the top of the hill and died for our sins and rose again. God, that we could have this eternal, eternal inheritance with you in heaven. That on this earth, we would be freed from our sins. God, that our walls would be built. Your wall will be our wall in this, on this earth, God. So I pray now, Lord, that you would bring repentance to us. God, you would bring salvation. God, you would give us a new mind and a new heart for a vision to build your kingdom, your city, your church here on this earth. In your name we pray. Amen.